Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. segment if the podcast was an hour he would be 18 years of age you could do all sorts of things you could drive go to a casino be tried as an adult in court a big yeah. one i mean that's all uk based things i don't know are there any canadian specific rules when you're 18 uh it varies province by province in the province of ontario where i live in you cannot drink yet but what many people do when they turn 18 is they uh drive three hours in one direction to go to the province of quebec where you can drink at 18 and they party up so i said this is not how old what what can you do when you are x age this is a phd student reads i'm the titular phd student Mm -hmm. daniel underwood (laughs) joining me as always rodrigo cocktee Oh, the Peruvian hey. panel reader. I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> I know. I mean, did we stick with Peruvian? I feel like, or was it the Canadian? You know, like, are we going back oh, and forth with remember. this uh, geographic location? I mean, I'm a fan of both. So All around nice person. There we go. Rodrigo. <laughs> Thank you. The podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Share it with your friends and enemies. Subscribe, etc., etc. Warning for spoilers for old books. Mine is from the 1990s, so you've had plenty of time to read it. Although I guess it's too late for mm-hmm. you, because I know you haven't read it. There's <laughs> nowhere for you to go now. <laughs> I'm okay. You hang up the yeah. Google Meets call and be like, bye. <laughs> Send me the recording of uh, what you read. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's spoilers for comic books. But also, this is 2021, the year the MCU sprang back into life. It's now a monthly mm-hmm. thing. There is, you know, there's seems to be a new MCU show every month, and of course, feature films exist once again. So I presume you didn't see it in the cinema. I remember last month, cinemas are still outlawed in uh, Canada. Correct. I mean, I have returned to the cinemas since we Ooh. last spoke. I saw The Green Knight. Uh, but I I did not see Black Widow in cinema, no. I saw it at, at home on a big TV. Uh, the Green Knight, I want to see it, but somehow the UK release has just been... It did have a date. That date has been and gone. The Green Knight is not out. Yeah, I, I saw that. Um, it was an interesting movie. I think it took... I mean, if you're familiar with, I guess, like the original material that it's based on, you might be going expecting one thing. And I think it hits a lot of the beats of that story, but it does take uh, some liberties. It weaves in some other kind of legendary figures. And I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think I enjoyed it more after kind of processing it for like a little bit and thinking about what I saw than as soon as I left the theater. But at the very least, it looked beautiful. The characters were great. So definitely something that you should check out when it's in the UK. Whenever that may be. Um, yeah, yeah. Rodrigo has not seen Loki, but my brief thoughts—I thought it was fine. Like all of these MCU shows, I don't—I don't know what it is about them, but they are just mm-hmm. fine. They have good ideas, but they never—at least to me—seem to deliver on that. The biggest problem I had with this one is in. So obviously, in, in case you don't know, spoilers for Endgame, I guess. Bad Loki from original Avengers takes the Tesseract. And that is pretty much the whole setup you need for this show. And then almost immediately, he becomes a totally different person. It's more like good Loki from the later Thor films. And it's like, um, Mm -hmm. I was expecting more of, you know, Loki, God of Mischief, at least a bit of that, rather than, oh, it's just, it's it's Loki. He's more of just, I guess, a vehicle to get people to watch the show than... uh, if it was focused, mm-hmm. if the show was called Mobius, was focused around Owen Wilson's character, who is sort of like one of these time agent people, I think that would be more what the show is actually about. Loki is just sort of there with other Lokis and various Lokis. But it does introduce Kang the Conqueror. So if you like Kang, that seems to be where the MCU is going. Multiverses and Kang. That being said, 
I think we have been around the bush long enough, as this was supposed to be a section to talk about Black Widow, something we have both seen, and something that I thought was just fine, a mid-tier MCU film. Rodrigo, what did you think? I think in the beginning of it, it kind of has like a, a, a born identity bit of vibe. And I enjoyed that part more than towards kind of like the, the climax of the film where it really gets into like a very Marvel uh, kind of really over the top mm. special effects kind of uh, ending. And I think that's where it loses me a little bit because it's like, you know, walking away from an explosion or falling down. Uh, this it's like I've seen yeah. so much of it already that it doesn't impress me, and so it, I that part I think it's like maybe you should have just kept it as a straight and a straight like born supremacy type of feel, and had like a lot more uh, of like hand on hand fighting than kind of like big uh, big moments. I think like the writing of it was good enough yeah. for me. I do think that there are parts where. Like the 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 point that they are trying to hammer home hammer home about like how women are treated in the world and how they're seen and whether or not they're like viewed as indispensable or something that is uh, like something that you can just neglect and and utilize. I think that was clear enough that you didn't actually have to have like the main villain like say it literally like you know do say less right. I, I think would be more effective. But it, it, I, I enjoyed it. I, I'm not going to pretend I didn't. Um, I do think the, the, some of the characters were very interesting, like the, the whole Russian side of things. I would say Taskmaster, however, was kind of a, a disappointment in a way because they really went in a, in a different direction. The door is kind of open still for them to do much more with the character, so that would be exciting to see. And I don't think in any way Taskmaster was meant to be the main uh, villain of this movie, like yep. the trailer had implied. I think more so like the whatever that dude's name was, the, the yeah, big bad uh, guy. The guy with the... What's his name? His name's Ray Winston. Cockney-accented Ray Winston, yeah. whose Russian <laughs> accent is not, not good. In fact, I'd say... None of the Russian accents in uh, they're all very, I don't know, 90s movie Russian accent. Yes, yeah, and then uh, it, it reminds me a bit of like, I don't know if you saw this trailer for uh, the latest this movie House of Gucci that's coming out that has yes, like Lady the Gaga Italian and accents, it, yes, and it's like I think everybody chose one idea of an Italian accent and they were not <laughs> consistent with each other, and that's kind of how I feel about the Russian accents in this movie, yeah. Agreed. If you are going into Black Widow expecting a a comic accurate, exciting mm. depiction of the Taskmaster, this is not the film for you. Mm. One doesn't speak at all. I don't. I don't. I can't remember the Taskmaster ever speaking. But also nothing like uh, Earth Six One Six Taskmaster. Not that right. it's bad. It's just that's not the Taskmaster you're getting. She. Yeah. Oh, spoilers. I guess. Oops. Mm -hmm. She is is just there. I was hoping that maybe at the end, when after they've fallen down from their sky base, and well, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you've I've, it's already ruined. But there's the whole point is there are these vials that can break people out of the Black Widow programming, and yeah, at the end, Black Widow smashes one of these vials in the Taskmaster's face. Taskmaster being uh, the daughter of the the main of Ray Winston and. Uh, I was hoping that they would go with the rule of, oh, she actually, you know, she breaks the vial, but she still wants to kill Natasha for what mm. eventually happened to her. But what? no, she yeah. too had had Black Widow programming and just went back to being a nice person afterwards. That's yeah. But yeah, wasn't somewhere middle of the pack, I'd say, mm -hmm. of all the uh, MCU movies. It's no Thor The Dark World, but it's no Avengers Endgame. I also think what let it down is when it came out. Like, why now? I, was, I, actually, I think it makes perfect sense in the global climate, why now? But, you know, this should have been a pre-Wonder Woman. It should have been a long time ago. I mean, yeah. it's set after Civil War. Like, literally, the opening moments are exactly after Civil War ends. And it's yeah. like, that's when this should have been a start of... Instead of Ant-Man or whatever came out after Civil War, it should have been this and then mm -hmm. the rest of the MCU. But... 
Yeah, I think uh, they just needed to put this out, this movie out at this point because they really had to set up Yelena Belova for. I think she's going to be in Hawkeye, right, or one of these ones. So they just really yeah. needed to to get her out there because this the other show is probably going to come out soon and they can't delay it anymore. That's very true. Well, speaking of the next show to come out, it's What If. Have you seen the the What If? trailers and, and such i saw one i think there's probably been more since the, yeah. like what i've seen um i think it starts like this wednesday or something right like it's pretty soon yeah or... it's, it's definitely yes. this month's mcu uh yeah dose. so i i haven't been keeping up as much as i should like i've been unfortunately very busy this month but i'm gonna catch up with everything i haven't seen soon yeah i mean i'm sure it'll be fun you know as someone that's read a lot of actual what if mm-hmm. i do worry that perhaps some of the it reminds me of more modern day what if stories where the, the, right. the big event would come out and then about six months later a, a what if follow up would come out. And at least in the trailer it seems the big crux is what if Peggy Carter became Captain America but some of them do seem a bit, it's like what if Killmonger saved Tony Stark, it's like, I'm sure that, I, yeah I guess that's, that's a yeah, choice I, I... but... I think this includes the last bit of Chadwick Boseman's work yeah, in the that's Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it seems to be What If, I guess, T'Challa was picked up by uh, Michael Rooker of the Ravagers rather than uh, Chris Pratt. Oh, really? That's kind of interesting. So, you know, I'm sure it'll be, like most MCU, fun. And I guess mm-hmm. it's nice that it's, it's an animated project. That's a bit different yeah. for, for MCU. Probably a lot cheaper. Especially because mm-hmm. they've recast a lot of the uh, the major players into people oh, into sound alike, really? like Robert Downey right, Jr. Right, right. for instance, not in it. So it's interesting. Probably Disney are like, yes, this is this is a, a good deal for us. Mm-hmm. But this is not a a uh, animated TV projects podcast. It's a comic book podcast, and uh, for once I wrote down it's me first this month. Oh, nice and. Uh, I read, it's a bit of a change of pace, Jinx, uh, published, or at least this edition is published by Image Comics on the 29th of April 2001, uh, written, drawn by, lettered by, constructed by Marvel Comics and now, I guess, DC Comics superstar, Brian Michael Bendis, although, admittedly, since he moved to DC, you don't hear his name come up so much. Back when he was, like... I mean, he wasn't head honcho of Marvel. But he was sort of like the Marvel brain trust. Everything went seemed to go through Brian Michael Bendis. But yeah, this is long before that. This is before the the Daredevil we talked about uh, a few months ago. Uh, this is a follow up to one of his even earlier works, aka Goldfish. I didn't know that going in, and it definitely doesn't matter if you read it. Um, but I will say I might be keep an eye out for a copy because I enjoyed this very much, and so getting more information on the characters in the world set up here would be an enjoyable read for me. Um, So, Goldfish is David Gold, and he and his partner Columbia are grifters in Cleveland, Ohio, after performing. They're basically sort of like the the where's the queen sort of uh, grifters, like, you know, hide the, fold the card, where's the queen? take some money from people. Their grift is Columbia mm-hmm. is the one that does like the card trick and then uh, he steals some money. Uh, Goldfish shows up pretending to be a policeman so the people run off and uh, so they end up keeping the money that they need. It's a successful grift mm-hmm. but David, he doesn't want this life anymore. He wants out, much to uh, Columbia's chagrin. Jinx Almeda, our other main character here, the titular Jinx, is a bounty hunter and you know collecting people who have skipped on bail committed crimes she's bounty hunter like dog the bounty hunter rather than say <laughs> boba fett or so or, right you know she does things for the law rather than just murders people willy-nilly um she by pretending to be a pregnant lover of a uh, of a man she knocks on in a, a door this woman answers clearly the actual partner of the her her charger ricky ricketts so she ends up, who's this pregnant woman, Ricky? And then, oh, she's not pregnant at all. It's Jinx, you're under arrest. After two successful adventures for both of them, they both head to a similar diner. Goldfish, Jinx, exchange a few glances, but that's as far as that goes. 
So yeah, Columbia is very upset that David wants out. He's like, what you know, what are you going to do with your life now? You know, this is your life. You need me, and I need you. But as David points out, you know, Columbia is a bit of a, a meathead, a bit of a hothead. He definitely doesn't need him. If anything, Columbia makes his life worse. Uh, you know, he could perform mm-hmm. these grifts in probably a slightly less violent way if Columbia wasn't even around. So they want to go their separate ways. They end up fighting. Uh, they leave the diner, but whilst they, but before they leave, you know, David is talking about how this Jinx, not not knowing that she's one, her name is Jinx, and two, that she's a bounty hunter. You know, this is right, like the love of his life, love at first sight. He wants this woman, um, but you know, they end up leaving the diner. Jinx is there, but she there, she happens to uh, catch a another bounty while she's having her her morning coffee. Um, she then heads back to, I guess, the police station or wherever it is you drop off bounties and has a run-in with uh, a fellow bounty hunter, Money B. Jinx thinks they're on good terms, but it turns out that Ricky Ricketts was also his bounty as well. And uh, he's very, you know, he gets no money now, but you know, Jinx, being the good person she is, has kept half of the cut to give to him. But now that he's been... Uh, rude and offensive and a bit violent she's like nah no money for you so that is a bit of a setup for later david back to david and columbia they have a fight in a car um again because david wants out uh but eventually they go their separate ways after uh, columbia is smashed through a window and then thrown out the car door uh just before that david has used a phone booth to call back to the diner that they were all at and uh, Jinx is still there, and uh, you know the, the diner owner picks up. He's like, "Who? What do you want?" So like, I want to speak to the woman that is at X table. You know, looks X, you know, long curly hair, etc. And so they have a conversation, two complete strangers, and agree to go on a date. Uh, and so they go on said date. Uh, this is where the format of the book changes for the first time. Instead of you know drawing, drawing speech bubble etc. Now we've got like it's more I guess more like prose like columns of text alongside a column of art. Uh, there are these format changes multiple times throughout the book. So you get these sort of column based bits. You've got classic grids. You've got bits that look more like Silver Age pulpy art as well but most of it is in this sort of gritty uh, photo reference style talk about the photo referencing at the end but that's that's the main bit of the book and then you get these bits that look slightly different um so this date seems to be going pretty well conversation is flowing they're getting to know one another somewhat uh they still don't know that one of them is a criminal and the other is someone that catches criminals but that will come to a head uh, soon enough but columbia busts in uh, interrupts this date and drags David out at gunpoint. But as David is being dragged away, he yells at Jinx to uh, let's go on a second date at some restaurant named the Big Egg. Uh, David and Columbia then go off to a secluded area, and just as it though, mm-hmm. just as it looks like uh, Columbia is going to kill him, a car crashes into a lamppost right beside the both of them. Uh, the driver then reveals that he knows where three million dollars can be found. Uh, and he can, he'll tell us the information if they drag him out of this car. He can't feel his legs, the car's on fire. But the problem is, is that Columbia now has one of the necessary bits of information as to where this money can be found, and David has the other. But as you can imagine, they're not on the best of terms when one of them just tried to kill the other. And so they agree to, you know, they'll wait. I say they agree, David just states it, This he plays it out, we will go off, we'll calm down for a bit, we will get back together, have put our bits of information together and go and get this money, and then we will never, ever speak again. Sometime, I guess a, a day or so has passed, and uh, David is now at this big egg restaurant, um, and he's there doing a grift outside. Jinx shows up, but this isn't quite the same Jinx that we knew from before, because this Jinx has an additional bit of information David Gold is wanted for the murder of a police officer. And so she shows up to the restaurant. Jinx is there with his cars and whatnot. And then Jinx just 
knocks him straight out with a single punch. And we pick up where David is now handcuffed to a bed and uh, Jinx is there. This turns out this bedroom is uh, uh, David Gold's hotel room. Um, he, she uh, just looked through his wallet, found that he had a, he had a hotel keycard and that's now where they are. And so, you know, if I woke up handcuffed to a bed, I think I too would be pretty surprised. Um, but it's revealed that David didn't kill a police officer. It's all a bit of a somewhat of a misunderstanding. I mean, he was, I'd say, involved into a reasonable degree that he could be charged. But before all this, and perhaps this is the plot of AKA Goldfish, I don't know, but him and his previous partner, Lauren, were both grifters. And she wanted, you know, she was constantly pushing to, they should, you know, climb the criminal ranks. David being, you know, he's, he's a street grifter. Right. He's pretty low level. You know, she wanted him to start carrying a gun. You know, they wanted to do bigger grifts for more money. Uh, but he, re, you know, he was happy where he was. You know, he, he had enough to get by, pretty comfortable life. He didn't want to, mm -hmm. you know, give himself more of uh, exposure to police and other criminal ne'er-do-wells that could negatively impact his life. But they're doing a grift right. and it's a uh, plain clothes policeman. So it looks like this is the end for David and Lauren. Mm -hmm. But Lauren then shoots this policeman, killing him, and then throws the gun to David who catches it. So now it's David's fingerprints that are on the gun and that's why he is wanted for the murder of this policeman rather than Lauren who actually pulled the trigger and did, did the murdering. So they turns out David also talks in his sleep. Uh, I guess sleep in this case being being knocked out. Um, and he reveals in this fuzzy state of this, this nebulous $3 million that is hidden somewhere in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, Jinx wants to know where this money is because she too is not happy with the life that she leads you know she went into this bounty hunter business i guess with a more positive outlook you know she isn't necessarily a cop but you know she's doing good she's catching criminals and i guess putting them behind bars um but after doing the work for a, a fair while she was this isn't you know this isn't what she dreamed of and, you know, there's a slight hint that perhaps something has happened in Jinx's past that has led her to having these thoughts, you know, that the whole bounty hunter business is not what it transpired to be. After some more back and forth, Jinx and David agree to team up. They will go find Columbia and then get the information from him, get the money themselves and then go off do whatever they want with 1.5 million dollars each so it seems like a fairly good plan and so david calls up columbia they go and meet up outside a church um so the, the plan is is that jinx will pretend that columbia is one of her marks so they get there you know she gets out of the van pulls a gun on him etc but then fellow the angry bounty hunter from earlier money b he is there too and he's like, well, not knowing that this isn't actually her bounty, he's like, well, you took a bounty from me, so I'm going to take this one from you. So they have, you know, it's now two guns drawn on Columbia. This whole thing is now, you know, it's falling apart around them. A priest comes out of the church and is like, this is religious ground. What are you doing here? Eventually this leads to Columbia and Goldfish being taken by Money Bee's men um, back to their their crib or so to speak um now more people start to learn of this nebulous three million dollars right there the two of them are tied up and they're being questioned is that maybe a nice way of putting it by money b and his team uh his his cohort are worried that money b is now playing both sides like he's he's a bounty hunter so i suppose you know he's on the side of the law but now he's you know, torturing these guys and starting to behave more like a criminal. And it's like, you know, you've got to pick a side here. But before any of that can be done, Jinx busts in. You know, she's figured all this out, you know, where they are, etc. Busts in, shoots one guy, 
you know, it's all, you know, action here. Um, Money B ends up being killed. Um, you know, uh, David and Columbia are rescued. The building is accidentally blown up through some uh, flammable liquids and bullets going off. Not necessarily the best mix. But so now it's back to just the three of them. And, uh, you know, by now, Columbia has pretty much figured out that the whole ruse thing, you know, this is all, this, he's going to lose out on the money here. So he contacts his family. And it turns out his uncle is like, works for the real, you know, he's, he's, he's somewhere up there on uh, the crime ladder. And so he's like, you know, I can help you get $3 million dollars if you kill David Gold and Jinx for me. So this is happening on the side, but as well as that, Jinx and David Gold are now pretty much a couple. You know, they sort of... The love at first sight that they saw at the diner is now in full flow, and we start to learn more about both of our characters. Uh, specifically, what happened to Jinx that made her thoroughly dislike this life of a bounty hunter? We find out that you know, a few years ago, in the early days of her bounty hunter career, she was going after this guy that had, uh, it's like a, he had a drug charge, but he'd skipped on his bail, right? You know, an easy, an easy mark, so she thought. So she took one of her friends along, I guess, you know, because it's an easy mark, we'll both get some money, that's good for the both of us. So they catch the guy, put him in the back of a van, drive it, making their way to the police station, I suppose. And she looks through his bag and it's filled with money rather than the drug paraphernalia that she was expecting. But importantly, she had forgotten to handcuff the guy. This 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 target grab was all so easy that she was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. What's this guy going to do? He then jumps out the back of the van, taking Jinx's gun as he does so. So now he's running around Cleveland, Ohio. Jinx heading after him and she comes across one woman that had been shot and she's like, oh god, see this guy, this person had been shot by her gun with this crazy drug man. She continues to chase him down, another person has been shot, she follows him into a back alley, the friend that she bought with her, he too has been shot, and uh, yeah, but he's still yeah. alive. All these people, it's suggested this, you know, she, she yells at one point, call a paramedic, so I presume that means, he, you know, they are alive. How long for? You know, it doesn't matter. She tracks down the uh, the guy, um, and he fires on her. And the book says, you know, it's just a single speech bubble. I died, but she didn't actually get shot. That's I had to read this bit a couple of times. Like, what? So the picture, the following panel, it looks like her body is falling to the floor. But what they then go on to explain is it's sort of like she was so prepared to be shot and killed that her brain shut off. And I, I guess she fainted, I suppose, is the, the easiest way to put it. But only for like a split second because she falls, the bullet misses her, and then she gets back out and she beats this guy to a pulp. And uh, money starts raining down from, from the sky, from this bag. And then she... She, like Pavlov's dogs, is the way she puts it. She starts scrabbling around for the money, you know, like, like I guess you know, one does when uh, you see it in a film. You know, money flies out of an ATM. Imagine that, but it's calling out, spawning out from this uh, mm -hmm. duffel bag on the floor. And it turns out, so it's not the fact that this crazed drug man took her gun and shot a bunch of people, and her friend got hurt. I mean, that's part of it, but. What she realised was that this bounty hunter life has turned her into some money-obsessed person that she doesn't want to be. And, you know, she didn't... When the money was falling down, she didn't turn and, you know, tend to her friend that's been shot in the gut. She was like, I must get this money. And she realised that's not a person she wants to be. And she hates herself for it. And that's why she wants out of the bounty hunter game. And this $3 million is the way she can do it. It also turns out that Jinx had seemingly knows where they are all the time because she had put some tracking devices on uh, David Gold and Columbia. So they know where Columbia is. He is in like a mall. And this mall scene is 
oh Siri, I don't know what I said that sprung you to life, but you don't want to know about the plot of Jinx. <laughs> He's in this mall. And we then get, I guess, maybe 10 or so pages of just sort of incidental conversations happening around this mall. There are these two guys that are talking about how much David Hasselhoff sucks. Um, there is this one guy explain, you know, talking to his silent partner like oh life is like traffic lights everyone stopping and going and if you ju- if you continue to drive through a yellow light how how does that affect your life you know traffic lights and driving are the depiction of chaos that life revolves around and there is this man and woman that are talking about i guess they had some sort of sexual encounter and the woman she explains that she's some sort of sex addict I guess is probably the best way of putting it and she doesn't she's worried about entering a relationship with this guy because he's just one guy and that doesn't she's worried about hurting him and what her needs are etc and it's like well this is it's interesting reading you know it's nice to see incidental characters but it's not really you know we see Jinx and David Gold arriving at the mall we know Columbia is there and it just seems a bit out of left field to focus on these just random people in this mall. But it turns out they aren't quite so random. So his uncle, uh, Columbia's uncle that is, he's like, well, you know, you can tell us where the uh, the money is or, you know, you're sort of, you're my deadbeat nephew. We don't really need you anymore. And uh, the two guys that were talking about the chaos of life, they are actually two of the uh, mob's hitmen. So they're now, you know, that's their role. And as Columbia tries to escape, he slips on a uh, milkshake and grabs this woman, this woman being the woman that had sexual issues with her partner. And then he ends up smashing through a shop window, this shop being owned by the guy that thoroughly disliked David David Hasselhoff's filmography and musical career. Uh, so it turns out these random people that it didn't, it seemed a bit, you know, out of said, out of left field to be focusing on. You could say there's somewhat crucial elements to this scene without him slipping on the drink and seeing the hitmen and falling through the window. None of the rest of the book, arguably, would have happened. He he's then caught by the police, uh, but Jinx using her backhand connections. You know, tries to be like, you know, this guy was my mark. How about you give him to me and, you know, I'll take a cut and I can reward you in, in some financial way. But this cop is like, nope, we're going to do this by the book. And uh, so, you know, Columbia is taken away off to prison. Importantly, David Gold thinks he sees Lauren. Lauren being his uh, previous partner that shot that policeman in the head and arguably ruined his entire life. But it's just a single right. panel, so... You know, you would have thought if, if that is Lauren, more would come of it. But this is Bendis, so more will come of it. Uh, so then Jinx, they Jinx and David, they go back to I don't know if it's if it's the same. They go to another diner, probably the same diner. They seem to be big fans of dining out. Um, and they come up with a plan to try and get uh, Columbia out of, out of prison. And during this, David starts to read Jinx's notebook. And in, then we get another, this is, I, I mentioned these changing formats, this is probably my favourite one. So Jinx has mm. been writing these comic book stories and we see from a flashback that she'd been writing these books and she had this previous boyfriend who then turned out to be trying to get into the mob to impress her. Um, she'd been writing these stories about these walls and this one was about a woman who had lost a son or a young boy or a friend or something to this rival gang and these are sort of like cavemen era sort of people you know they're very nomadic that's probably a better way of putting it uh she goes off to this other tribe and uh, it turns out the other tribe you know they've already killed this boy and uh, you know then it cuts back to real life jinx goings on uh Jinx is very angry that David had been reading these, uh, these you know, 
personal stories that she had created. You know, she doesn't. She's a bounty hunter. She doesn't think she's a particularly creative person. Yeah, they're for her and no one else to see. Um, so they have a fight. They go their separate ways. Um, David ends up uh, paying the bail to get Columbia out of prison, and he's like, right. It's the two of us. It's just the two of us again now. You know, Trix has left me. You've got nobody. Let's just go get this money and be done with it. You know, you go off. I'll go off. We never need to speak. I'm going to leave Cleveland. You know, that's it. Let's just solve this entire problem. So it turns out that the money is being held in a scrapped car inside a scrapyard. So they go to find the car, find the money, open the boot. Jinx is there. It turns out this whole fight was a big ruse to get... Now, they're being watched all the time by various crime players in the Ohio scene. And uh, so, you know, by them going their separate ways, that seemed like no one would care anymore. So now all three of them get the money and they're just going to agree to split it three ways. This, this $3 million has ruined their lives enough. Some money is better than no money. Uh, so, yeah, they take the money and but then... We get a single three full-page panels of Columbia's head. And his head just explodes. He has been shot in the head. And who by? It's Lauren. It turns out David did see Lauren in the mall. It wasn't just some figment of his imagination. Because we know from before when uh, David was revealing this whole thing about Lauren shooting this policeman that he's not quite over it. I mean, as I imagine, if someone had ruined my life in such a way, I too would not be over it. Um, so he thought when he saw Lauren, he didn't actually. It was just a woman that looked a bit like her and his brain made the jump. Oh, Lauren's in eye. But no, it was her. And it turns out that the uncle, Columbia's uncle, is actually under her. And she, it, this is her money. And she has been, she was the one that had injured the people that crashed their car right back at the start. It's all been... You know, she too has been after the money, but now, by just by sheer coincidence, David Gold, her former partner, is the one that brings her to it. She takes the money and then leaves, leaving David and Jinx just a small finder's fee. And they take this money. It's not quite specified how much it is, but it is enough to go to this spa that they had mentioned before about what they would do once they had the three million dollars. And then that's the end. I appreciated that the end was not, they all get the money, live happily ever after. I suppose it wouldn't be a particularly noir-esque ending if they did live happily ever after. But, you know, it's happy enough. One of them is dead, but mm-hmm. he was the, the worst member of the trio. Our two main characters, they have enough money to not live their, their dreams, but get what they want in the fact that he doesn't have to be a grifter anymore. She doesn't have to be... A bounty hunter anymore. They have enough money to get by, to get normal jobs, and just live in normal society. Yeah, so that was really good. But right, as I didn't mention the art because I want to talk about it now. So throughout most of it, it's photorealistic. All of the characters are based off people that Bendis knows. Columbia being Bendis himself. It's Bendis's face, and he's like, oh, that's not knowing who any of these other people are. Once, like that was the first thing I noticed when reading it. That is definitely a younger-looking Brian Michael Bendis. There are yeah. most of it is in a more, not to sound derogatory, like a more comic booky style. Like he's taken the the pictures or he's got the models and he's you know drawn them. But some of the flashback sequences or the sections where it's more prose-like look more like just photos that have been drawn over. So we've got a whole range of art styles here. And I'll admit, I know Bendis more for his uh, writing than his drawing. It's certainly not bad, you know. I am still not sure how I feel about photo referencing. There's a bit, so at the end of this uh, collected volume, there's a whole section about the making of Jinx, this possible Jinx animated series, and he goes into uh, photo referencing. He's like, some people consider it cheating, you know, just drawing out a photo, but he's saying, you know, I've put the work in to take the photos, and they're photos done by me. They're not just, because I guess a, a common place to it is like cityscapes, you see 
it's just like someone's Googled a city. It's like, okay, they've drawn the city. That's New York, where Spider-Man is now swinging through. But, you know, he's gone out there. He's treated his character models more like actors. They, you know, they play out the scenes. Uh, Bendis will take the photos and then he'll go back to his studio and draw out these these scenes. In fact, there's an excerpt in there where they were doing one of these more gruesome scenes and actual cops showed up to, uh, I guess, investigate what was going on. And that led to Bendis and his partners being uh, hauled back to a police station to give give some more information as to why uh, <laughs> some of... Yeah, exactly. They, but, yeah. Why they were doing that. What are your thoughts on photo referencing? Because I know they, it can be a bit of a, a hot-button topic when it comes to comic book art. Yeah, I think it depends on... Um, on the artist and how they are able to then reinterpret that into the comic book world and how believable it is. There's one uh, artist in particular that comes to mind, Greg Land. I don't know if you are specifically familiar with him, but he is actually very, I would say more on the infamous side, more than famous side for like his photo referencing because a lot of uh, the source material that he seems to use comes from seemingly (laughs) pornography is where it seems to be. And there's like so a lot of uh, specific expressions that are of uh, a pornographic kind. And it's like, I'm not a particular like, prude or judgmental about anything but it's just like he's not able to make his characters disappear in the what the material that we're reading right it just very clearly seems like he's pulled them these from these specific frames and these movies and put them in and so i think like it it depends on, on the artist um there i know there's a lot of like photo referencing for a lot of other indie books that i like and i think that's absolutely fine i i, I don't have an issue with it as long as like the characters kind of disappear in the material. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you know it helped me that I didn't know who any of these models were, other than that Columbia was Bendis himself. So I guess that helped me. You know, they were mm-hmm. nobodies to me. I feel like photo referencing can be a bit of an issue. I think it's become. I wouldn't say more. It's more of an issue post MCU when you open a Marvel comic book and it's like, hmm, looks like Jeremy Renner. Or, yeah, exactly. This is like Samuel but, you know, Jackson. Back in the nineties, that was long yeah. before. And these are all people I have never heard of. So, the fact that some of them are just coloured in—I say in inverted commas—photographs doesn't really. I mean, and, you know, and mm-hmm. it's a long. It's four hundred eighty pages, and having various different. You know, they can be very differing art styles. Right? You know, I think it helps helps keep it uh, keep it interesting. Yeah, very good. Would read again. That's fair. Um, I have some, I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope this isn't fake news. This is from my understanding, but I'm pretty sure, uh, like, Goldfish is, uh, like, it mm-hmm. came out before Jinx, but I think Jinx is a prequel to Goldfish. So I think oh, you can, damn. I, I might be wrong oh, there, I but I think that's how it works. So you could, in theory, continue reading this story. Yeah, well, whatever. If, whether, whether Goldfish comes before or after, I definitely am interested in uh, yeah. learning more about all of the uh, the players in this world. So, cool. I know that you have not read any DC comics, like you said. I did you not. Was. I know. I tell us more. Did not deliver. Um, to be honest, like I said, I was very busy this month, so I was looking for something short and sweet. I had a couple of books that I had bought from friends that are very knowledgeable about comics and so they recommended it as solid read so i was like i want something that is going to be very quickly engrossing and so i read uh, a book that came out in 2006 so again like 15 year old spoilers here in case you haven't read it um i read the pride of baghdad have you ever read this book do you know i have this book it is uh, a book written by Brian K. Vaughan with the artwork handled, I want to say almost in its entirely, by uh, Nico Enricon, which I think is a French artist. And I believe he does uh, all his work painted. And so he handles, I guess, like the inks and the colors and and all of it. It is uh, beautiful, I would say. It has a tagline saying inspired by a true story, which got me kind of curious. In case you don't know, in April of 2003, as uh, Americans were invading Iraq to, I guess, uh, get rid of Saddam Hussein, uh, they bombed a zoo in Baghdad. And after that, during, like, I guess, the aftermath of that, they uh when they were patrolling the city, uh, there was like a group of American soldiers that encountered uh, four lions that were, I guess, like hungry. And so they had to end up shooting them. 
And uh, this book is kind of like an exploration of what those lions may have explored uh, in in the aftermath of the bombing. But even before that, it is uh, a story about four lions kind of trying to desperately hold on to what was safe and comforting for Mm -hmm. them being their family. But it also on some level is uh i've cut like a, a metaphor or like an analysis of uh the position of the people in iraq and the war in iraq and like the war on oil and, and so on and so it's very interesting like the book start off starts off at the zoo and you kind of get introduced really quickly to the four main lions that are our main characters there's the male lion zil um the the young cub uh, Ali, uh, Ali's mother, uh, the the younger lioness, uh, Noor, and then Safa, who is like the oldest of the pride, this old lioness that I guess used to be um, Zil's former mate. Mm-hmm. And she is uh, uh, blinded from one eye and she has like an ear chewed off, chewed, like that's been chewed off. And so later on, we kind of get like the explanation as to where that's happening. But we kind of start with a brief introduction there. You know, like you, you very quickly get a sense that like, uh, you know, Ali is kind of very young and naive and exploring the world and not understanding everything and, you know, taking things at face value, but not seeing like the depth. Uh, Safa, the older lioness is like very cynical and, you know, she's gone through things that have given her a different perspective than the rest. And then we get introduced into Noru, who is uh, a young lioness who's trying to escape the zoo. And she's having these chats with, um, with I guess like an antelope or a gazelle. I mean, I'm sorry for for the biology people. Maybe I I'm I think it's an antelope. But she's having these conversations, and she's trying to get them to team up. That you know, saying like the the keepers they never come into our cages like unprepared, but they do go into yours and they underestimate you. So if you could like you know kind of stab them with your horns. <laughs> And then, like, we could uh, be able to escape. And they're talking about, like, well, what, what, how would we open the cages? And she's like, you know, I've already been talking to the monkeys. Like, the rats have been sending a message on my behalf. And the monkeys are going to help. And then the antelope kind of suggests, like, that she's being naive and trusting the monkeys. And that, uh, you know, it's kind of just like the law of the jungle, how things are set up. And that, you know, like, they either live apart or die together, mm-hmm. which I guess is kind of different than the, you know, die apart or oh, sorry was it like die alone anyways whatever the common expression is like it's it's very different in their animal world right and so um as you kind of see these characters and you read this book you kind of start seeing what uh brian k Vaughn is doing here and that you know for safa she is uh representative of an older generation of iraqi people that were aware and understood that there were certain freedoms that they had given up with with Saddam Hussein, but that they knew that their reality that they were living in was or could be safer than the alternative, right? And then Noor stands for like a younger generation of people, uh, of more progressive people that desperately wanted to change the political government and were trying to bring in people from all of these other different groups and having, uh, you know, like mostly failures, uh, uh, in, in trying to change the, the paradigm that they had at the time. And Ali, the young cop, kind of represents like the, the kids, the children that are, are fully unaware of who Saddam Hussein was or George W. Bush or so on, right? And so it's like very interesting to see it from that perspective. You know, shortly after you get started, you kind of get to see why, uh, you know, as Noah is desperately trying to escape, why Safa is so comfortable. Like, you know, for Safa, she sees it, as almost stupid to try to escape the conditions that they're living in because they get handed like food yeah. every day yeah. and you know like sure it's not freedom but what does it mean to be free right and um you know she she's kind of like the the one that may have lived the most in what was the outside world and so she she kind of looks at, at Zill and she looks at Noah and she's like you like what you you guys have like nostalgia lenses for this idea of freedom like you don't you don't remember really how bad it was out there before like you know we lost our freedom but gained so much more living in the zoo 
she kind of flashbacks to being in the wild and like being approached by like a, a male lion that just kind of has uh, his way with her and you know ends up like as she's trying to resist that's how she loses her eye how she gets her her ear chewed off and so obviously with like this damage that she has seen outside that and comparing it to the relative safety at the cost of freedom that she sees inside the zoo, you can kind of understand her perspective as to why she, she wants to remain there. Um, you know, shortly after as they're having kind of like these bigger level debates, they just get like a, a, a skinned donkey, full-size donkey thrown into their cage. And they're like, this is several days food, like what's happening? And then, you know, before they're able to kind of process it, they just like see a huge explosion and they get thrown all around their thing like you know the bombing has begun like what had happened is that the the zookeepers had thrown in meat for the animals because they had to evacuate they had to leave back there because they knew that the bombing was incoming and so you know in this bombing they they end up getting free of their cells and one of the first things that happened is that they get separated as they're trying to find food and kind of like they seem to panic like all these animals going every which way is that the monkeys end up encountering Ali the young cub and they end up grabbing him and trying to like take like, they're kind of portrayed as a bit crazy and like maniacal and so they grab like a, a stone and they kind of want to carve things into uh poor young Ali who has like a bit of a Simba look right. if you want to imagine like it's what he looks like he looks like a bit like a young Simba and the Lion King like that kind of age and so the monkeys are trying to carve it and as uh you know he, it looks like uh Nora and Zill are not able to reach them because they would have to cross water and it's not something that they can do naturally they the um Safa who had been left behind in the original because she was like I don't want to go yeah. anywhere like I'm happy right here like why do you guys so desperately want to see what's out there that the, what's out there isn't necessarily yeah. better she ends up being the one that saves Ali from the monkeys and kind of tells Noor that like you know like you have to like she she makes it clear that Noor is very naive as to the reality of the situation like she thought the monkeys would help them and then they don't and so you know like if you don't if this knowledge that you thought was true isn't true then what else of what you think is true in the world a case isn't, of right? uh, and better the devil you know than the devil you don't exactly and then almost immediately after they encounter the antelope that they had been talking with uh, she had been talking with earlier and the lions are hungry and so they're like let's hunt let's eat this antelope right and then Nora puts her her foot down or I guess her paw down and she's like no let her go like I gave my word that we would work together and like let this dumb antelope because like the antelope wasn't really having it earlier so she was like let this dumb antelope go back to her family and say that the lions kept keep and kept their yeah. word right and so you know like again it's like looking at the parallels it is like these younger people that are like angry at the fact that no that despite their best intentions of rallying others they are not able to get any movement here and you know they still have their strong beliefs and so on, but it's just kind of like this very interesting juxtaposition as they, they keep on growing out. Like as they explore Baghdad, they encounter like a turtle and turtles are obviously known for living uh, a quite, quite a long time. And so he's uh, the turtles, the one that's able to offer the perspective of previous wars that had happened in, and in that uh, train, because, you know, like this war for oil is not something that just happened in 2003. Yeah. It's like the, the Gulf war and so on. And so, you know, like they, the turtle talks and he describes how he lost his family in the previous war. And, you know, like the lions are kind of asking, like, who, who does this? Why do they do it? And the turtles kind of just, the turtle just kind of says, like, what does it matter why they do it? Like, at the end of the day, like, you know, people die and there's nothing really positive gained uh, about it, you know? And so this piece is definitely like a strong criticism about like the, the war in Iraq and like the positions that you can take about, you know, like freedom fighters. It's a very like beautiful thing to say, but what does freedom mean then? Like what is the cost of, of fighting for freedom as they explore the city? They do encounter like, you know, a lot of like dead people mm -hmm. Uh, that just bodies from the war they they encounter like the the repercussions of what's left behind they they go into this temple and they see this lion that was absolutely maimed and you know he had had all his his teeth his canine teeth pulled out he's been declawed because he was like a house lion right and they didn't want him to be dangerous and so it is a reminder too that it's like even if you have like a strong anti-war position there was uh, a strong, I guess, like human abuse 
record yeah. happening there, right? Like, it, it, I think that that's, like, the nuance that is difficult to sometimes have, that it's like, yeah, you, you can agree that wars are wrong, and as a North American myself, like, we were in these places like Iraq and Afghanistan for yeah. far too long, and for the wrong reasons, as in, like, what they say versus what they really intended, but at the same time, like, not, like, it's just, it's very, it's very easy to be, uh, to, to come out at this at one side, but it's an issue that is far more complex and requires nuance. Um, in the fight, in that palace, they encounter also another giant bear, and in this fight, trying to escape this bear, uh, no, no, uh, Safa is blinded in her other eye, and so she at this point cannot see at all. And you know, like the the writing is brilliant. There's a part where they're climbing, and uh, they're talking about like you know, like just you guys go ahead. I can't climb. I'm blind. And then Noor tells her like, don't worry, Safa. The change is gradual, like as in the the incline of what they're climbing, right? And she says like, oh. At, if only it really was because change never really is gradual. And especially in these things, it's like it is this shift in dynamic going from like they, them being under, you know, Saddam going into like their, their new situation, like that drastic change also in itself has repercussions. Right. And so as they finally get to the top, they look at the, the sunset and they kind of see beauty and they have this like brief moment, this like, uh, of being able to appreciate like the entire city and the beauty that was in, ahead of him until the Americans just come in and shoot these four lions and you know you can kind of take that uh, as a, a clear message about whatever you know like the American soldiers presence meant for for the Iraqi people um, kind of ends just acknowledging that this is really based on a true story like in April of 2003 four lions escaped the Baghdad Zoo during the bombing of Iraq, the starving animals were eventually shot and killed by U.S. soldiers. And then it says there were other casualties as well, because, you know, obviously a lot happened during this war. Um, this is a very easy and a very quick read. I would definitely recommend it if, you know, you haven't read it. Even if you, like, just like animals and are not a huge fan concept of war, like Nico Enricon, who is like a French-Canadian artist, he is really really talented he is like it's it's beautiful like um you know uh, i would say dan even if you want i would just you, you can go ahead and google what the i won't lie i've, like I've already see. done it it looks great yeah it, it's quite and it, it's really really good and like the store the story is beautifully written and you know it's it's interesting i think so yeah that's what i read this week like i said i was trying to read something fast and it very much was fast like i think i probably read this in 20 minutes maybe like it, it's it's a self-contained, I think it's actually Brian K. Vaughan's first self-contained piece of work. Like, it's not, like, Why the Last Man or Saga that are, like, multiple volumes. Like, he sat down and wrote, like, one roughly 150-page graphic novel that had something to say. There's a lot of other books, if you enjoy it, that kind of explore the same concept. I think if you, like, go on the Wikipedia page for Pride of Baghdad, there even link there. Um, a lot about these animals escaping in from the Baghdad Zoo after the bombing in 2003. I can imagine just, like, from kind of like a cinematic perspective, what it must be like to see wild animals roaming what is then a ghost town because people either evacuated or were killed, right? And it's just like the juxtaposition of that, I think, is an, an image that is evokes an image that is very interesting to explore. And so I can see why a lot of works of fiction decided to really take a closer look yeah, at that I, era. I'd say Brian K. Vaughan is a man I would trust to deal with like a subject matter like that. I mean, he he's good at what he does, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And this book is another, he knocks it out good. of the park. I did have a look. I mean, it was published by Vertigo, so I suppose if you really push it, technically you, you did. Dude, you, you did read you it. You did read a DC you, book. As you said you would. <laughs> oh, is Vertigo still a thing? I don't know. Is it still? I think so. Or maybe not. I don't know. Vertigo. I haven't been, been keeping up. I think a lot of like the self-creator, the creator-owned stuff have transitioned oh, into it, image. Oh, defunct. I think, uh, 5th of January, 2018. 18 months ago. Oh, no. There you go. I guess it was all just folded into there you go. Main, main DCU. Well, mm -hmm. for once, I think uh, it's time that we both have recommendations. You know, I have enjoyed Jinx a considerable amount, and uh, Pride of Baghdad also enjoyed a considerable 
amount. Yeah. Yeah. We were both happy. I think we were both satisfied think, customers. Right. I say, I would say, Jinx is definitely a book for you. I mean, you, know, you haven't read it. You like your, you like your noir. For quite a thick book, my, it didn't take you very long to get through. There's a lot of uh, like yeah. full page spreads or just pages with not much going. And there's a lot going on, not yeah. much to and sit that's... and read. Like you can just look at it, take it in, and go on. And that's one thing that I love about Bendis is that he really allows his work to do what he thinks it needs to do. You know what I mean? Like if he needs to have uh, panels where characters are having like an incessant banter back and forth that will be nothing but speech Mm -hmm. bubbles, he does it. But if he also needs to do just like pages and pages of people just reacting to each other silently, he's also willing to allow his book to just take that that, that step. I don't know. It happens. I wouldn't say that's my favorite. The pages... There's a lot of pages here where you open it and it's just like a wall of speech bubbles, which... I mean, yeah. the, the story here is good, so I can't complain too much, but sometimes it can be like, mm-hmm. maybe show and not say Bendis, but... Yeah, I, I think in his mind that that's the cadence of which all people with which all people speak like a, a very uh, like a ping pong of conversation and you know when you're working with your original work or you know you have some characters it works better than sometimes you're giving that to like <laughs> spider-man luke cage captain america iron man and, and it's like everybody has this banter i don't know that that's true bendis but so it, i think yeah your mileage Maybe may vary more of a conversationalist than i am i mean there's like, like a lot of speech bubbles yes. that just say okay or something in it and it's like just uh-huh. just put these speech bubbles together with just a single okay please i so. yeah but yeah I, I think that's what the the instinct is and he fights against that instinct always because <laughs> i think in his mind it's like that's not how people talk with a single okay it's like okay okay yeah. sure yeah you know what i mean like he adds every single one of those and i can understand though like the why people sometimes do not agree with it and i think that's fair but i do think that not so much that it's the right choice or the wrong choice but i do enjoy that he makes that choice to 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 set himself like, apart yeah. in that especially way especially here it's his choice to make he makes it. Yeah. No, yeah. can't complain mm-hmm. too much. Right, this was episode 18. I now have to think of something a person can do only when they are 19. Ontario Luckily, drinking. A... That's the only oh, one there that we I go. know That's of. it. Problem solved. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you can look forward to me saying that again in a month's yeah. time. Uh, nine... Oh, yes, oh, 19. What a strange age. Strange age for that. Yeah, cigarettes um, too. I remember oh. when I was... Uh, it's 17 I, I went to from peru to go study in montreal i studied at mcgill mm-hmm. and uh i went from peru and i bought cheap cigarettes because in, in canada cigarettes were expensive i think they still are i don't smoke anymore i quit smoking after university but i did at the time and i bought like a carton of cigarettes in peru but because i had a layover stop in toronto as i like i flew lima toronto toronto uh montreal because I was 18, I was allowed to have them in Peru and in Montreal, but not in Toronto. And they took them away from me, and they just threw them out. And I was like, "God damn it!" At least you, you, uh, it wasn't the other way. Right? You know, like you bought them when they were their most expensive, and you yes, lost them. Yeah, no, no, it was supposed to be me saving money, but then I just spent money to get them thrown out in Toronto. So this was Pigeon Reads episode 18. I oh, uh, follow the Twitter, please. Um, what else? Rate, share, subscribe, the usual things. You know, insert what people that are good at hosting podcasts say and put it <laughs> here in this outro segment. Or just remember, Suicide Squad comes out this month. God, boy. 2021, the year superhero media has yeah. taken over. I think it is out right now as of our record- recording. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's getting much better reviews than the first. Which is unsurprising because yeah. the first film is. Although I think it is I'm seeing it after an Oscar this, winner, Oscar winner, the first film, which is very. Oh yeah, so best costumes, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, something odd. Surely any film yeah. could have been. I don't know some regional drama. Yeah. They could have just done. Oh. But anyway, getting sidetracked. Suicide Squad is out this month. It's probably good. Go watch that. Catch up on all the the MCU goings on that get published. Each and every month now. You can't escape. This read has been some a comics. Read. Oh, yeah, read some comics. There you go. Mm. Read Jinx. Read Pride of Baghdad. Read Bendis is Dead, Devil. Read <laughs> uh, 
unimaginable. Read Snyder's Batman. Don't read Age of Apocalypse. It's not worth it. Don't do read, it. Read Why the Last Man and then watch the trailer for Why the Last Man that just came out for the FX series and then watch the FX series whenever it does come out that I don't know oh, when that is yeah. exactly. I, I, I saw the trailer pop up and I was like, mm-hmm. I haven't read Why the Last Man. Something about you have not? demilitarized zones, right? I think is that what Why the Last mm. Man is about I think there is that in it, but I would not say that that's what that book is about. It is literally, like, the, the name is not misleading. It is about one last man. Is his name Y, by any chance? It's Yorick. Ah, okay. Close but the y, the y is also for, like, XY. Oh. Well. Yeah, check it out. Maybe I should take that advice, read Y last yeah. man. It's good. I like it. Noted. Noted. It's been a Fitch Student Reads, episode 18. I've been Daniel Underwood. That's been Rodrigo Copti. Goodbye.